From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. May the 30th marks China's National Science and Technology Workers Day. We want to take a moment to lend our voice to the chorus of appreciation for the many and varied contributions of our nation's SciTech workers. We also have a scientist in the field of astronomy to share his view on the profession. And since the thick of the pandemic, swaths of restaurants. In China, have implemented a scan-to-order system, which requires diners to scan a QR code and self-order from their phones. Should we keep doing it when the pandemic is over? For today's program, I'm joined by Yu Shun and Niu Honglin in the studio. First on today's show, celebrated every May the 30th since 2016. The National Science and Technology Workers' Day highlights the significant role and achievements of scientists, technicians, and all workers in the field. It also underlines the importance and relevance of science in society and the need to engage the wider public in debates on emerging scientific issues. What's the origin of this day of science workers, and what's the objective and theme of the day this year? Yeah, this year's May 30th marks the seventh annual National Science and Technology Workers Day. According to a recent article by the Science Popularization Times, this year's celebration activities are held by the China Association for Science and Technology and the Ministry of Science and Technology. Also, the National Science and Technology Workers Day was established to draw attention to the role of innovation and importance of talent and career development. Of science and technology workers, according to a 2022 article by China Association for Science and Technology, or CAST, CAST, 
In 2016, the CAST convened its ninth National Congress on May 30th in Beijing, and then encourages Chinese governments at all levels to improve communication and better serve their innovation and entrepreneurship needs. CAST celebrates this annual festival with a series of themed events for science and technology workers across China. Yeah, and actually, for a lot of different cities and a lot of different places, activities were held from early May, making May a theme month for promoting the spirit of scientists. There、mm. are different kinds of activities. Some are very high techy techy, very scientific. You have the scientists gather together, having seminar, talking about their profession, the leading results, the great achievements of their work. We've got a Zhongguancun Forum designated、mm. for that. Purpose. A lot of scientists are having online and offline seminars and forums talking about their developments. And also, there are some other ones that I myself find interesting because those are some kind of activities allowing common people like us have an idea about scientists and their works. And there are even kind of drama performed by science students. Um, using one or two of the very moving stories of their predecessors of the scientists in the field, watching these kind of drama makes me feel entertained as well as educated. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the best kind of entertainment, I suppose. And it's really important for people to get familiarized with. Also, demystify you know what、mm. the life of a scientist is, and also you mentioned the spirit of scientists that might come as something oh so deep. To me, it's more like、um, being very dedicated to your work and also very meticulous and have that、um, scholarly integrity in doing experiments, in research, in coming up with often research results that. I don't think you can necessarily set an aim pre the whole thing, but、um, it takes you to unexpected places. But I think that's sort of like science discovery or the essence of it. And、uh, there's just a lot about this profession that, for the general public, we might not know very much. And on today's roundtable show, we would like to help you to understand the life of a scientist or what they do a little bit better. Besides that, actually, there are more activities held in different cities around the country. Actually, for taking Beijing, for example, on top of the Zhongguancun Forum we mentioned earlier, which is a national level open innovation platform and an international forum,、um, there's also what I found very interesting. That is the China Science Fiction Convention. It is held in Beijing, and there is this Beijing Science Fiction Carnival, which is the highlight of the convention, and it is set. To include four parts: twenty sci-fi adventure season, sci-fi films exhibition, sci-fi new technologies and products release, and sci-fi night and planet awards award ceremony. I would love to attend that. How do you feel about the science fiction <laughs> festival, so to speak, that falls, you know, in the middle of so many celebrations for this day? Yeah, I was actually not expecting that sci-fi <laughs> movie is also part of these events, you know.、Um, but yeah, of course, it reminds me that while probably science in our daily life is not only about experiments in the lab,、mm. but maybe it's also about the artwork in our daily lives. Maybe that is kind of the way 
that us common people can get in touch with the science world. And apparently, on top of getting common people like you and me familiarized with science-related work, there are also other kind of activities helping the scientists out there. We、we'll、talk about scientists do incredible state-of-the-art research, but also they they have their problems or they have troubles in their life. They sometimes may need a lawyer to help them protect the intellectual property rights of theirs. They may need a shrink to help them deal with the Very very high pressure work, and all these are also included in the、um, science workers' day activities. Oh, that's really interesting. That's more like addressing the real grievances of people who work in the profession, and these are some of the fields that、um, not only. By the sound of it, that、uh, science and tech workers would、um, go through. I think it's just really. Promising in a way that、uh, the, these areas are getting the attention、mm. that is very much needed. And we spoke with Dr. Zhang Fan, associate professor of Department of Astronomy in Beijing Normal University, about a whole bunch of issues and questions. And here we'll start off this string of questions with: What is new in the development of science in your respective area? Um, so there are lots of specific stuff happening,、um, especially in biological science and、um, in the physical sciences as well.、Um, for example, in、uh, people probably don't pay too much attention on the、uh, foundations of physics, the、um, how the universe works. But more recently, there's has been、um, evidences accumulating,、um, showing that there's tension with the、um, existing.、Uh, Best model, which is always a good thing. That means、um, you're on the cusp of something, a breakthrough. So you have to come up with a new model. So in the next ten, twenty years, I presume there will be、um, there will be pretty exciting、uh, development in the in the foundation of physics. But what I really want people to, to have a sense of is the、um, is the potential way of how science might be done. That could change very shortly because of the、uh, advancement of things like AI, essentially the automation of science.、Um, for example,、um, in the past, when you were trying to do biology, trying to synthesize new DNA and try to modify sort of crops, see how they make them grow better,、um, or to cure diseases,、um, you have to do a lot of experiments, testing out all sorts of combinations of of, of new DNA segments. That's a very labor-intensive task, but now we have people working on trying to do that on printed chip in a very automated way, doing high flux testing. So you can test a lot of different combinations all at once. That, in my opinion, would lead to a、uh, a fundamental shift in the speed at which scientific discoveries in, in biological sciences happen. So that's something I'm looking forward to. We will hear from Dr. Zhang Fan, associate professor of the Department of Astronomy, Beijing Normal University, on today's show.、Um, so, does that strike a chord with you? When he's talking about AI is also playing a role in scientific research, as well as some of the other contributions and development in the world of science that、uh, we're seeing these days. Well, I personally was surprised when I was talking to him because, in his opinion,、uh, the current artificial intelligence, which we all wow about, is not near good enough. In his opinion, he believed that actually there would be what 
he referred as artificial general intelligence. That is the kind of AI that could actually mimic the neural working mold of a human being. Think like a human would think. That would achieve the goal of what he said: the fundamental change of how science works. That just sounds kind of enlightening <laughs> as well as scary at the same time. As long as AI is not sentient, I am okay with it for the time being.、Um, yeah, but what I was thinking is that I finally heard from a professional saying that they are looking forward to the assistance of AI. You know, because we've been talking about a lot that okay, AI is going to replace some of the professions. AI is going. That's to- just on the show. Because <laughs> you see, so many people working in the AI industry, the scientists were really genuinely excited about it. Yeah, it's a lot of the,、uh, it's the, the likes of Elon Musk or some of these other big names were also sounding the alarm. But it's interesting to have sort of both sides of、mm. the view, as you say, you should. And also, what do we see as the latest contributions and development in China when it comes to the work of scientists and technicians? Well, according to a recent China Daily report, China has, for the very first time, replaced the United States as the largest contributor to high-quality natural science research by ranking first in the share of papers published in top journals in 2022. Of course, there are a lot of different parameters showcasing how a country is doing in contributing to science and technology. But I'm glad to see that China is making its contribution. But of course,、uh, we also have another article. By Nature.com, saying that China has still a way to go before it catches the United States on count. A raw sum of all articles in the database that have at least one author from a particular country. In the same January to December 2022 window, the United States had a. Count of almost twenty-five thousand two hundred articles, compared with slightly more than twenty-three. Thousand and five hundred from China. So yes, we are doing quite a good job, but we can keep on the good work. As Neil Honey said, the eighty-two high-quality journals include those in four fields: life sciences, physical sciences, earth and environmental sciences, and chemistry, and such as cell, nature, chemical communications, and physical review letters. And we can see that. Since the Nature Index was first introduced in 2014, China's share has been rapidly increasing, and it was the leading country in the fields of physical sciences and chemistry in 2021. And the latest data shows that a snapshot of the database taken in April this year, and it suggests that China also overtook the U.S. in earth and environmental sciences for the first time. Yes. Well, I suppose when it comes to Science research and breakthroughs and explorations, as such, it's important to not only focus on quantity but also take a look at quality. And this is、um, an area that、um, we increasingly see that Chinese scientists are engaged in as well. And there seems to be this major push for. Uh, more investment in science and more of this elevation of、um, discussion, as well as treatment to sci-tech workers of、um, as such, and these are all some really important things that are happening, and it's worth our attention on this particular day. 
Our very own Yeo Hoolin spoke with Dr. Zhang Fan a bit more on what is it like becoming a scientist. Is there a path to follow? There's no common formula. Even in the same field, different professors have completely different styles of doing things. Especially in science education, when you reach a PhD level, a doctoral candidate level, it really follows an old sort of. Disciple kind of、um, strategy,、uh, where if you were a carpenter in the past medieval times, you know, you would have disciple learn your trade by、uh, essentially working with you, and then、um, eventually earn the credentials to to open up a new shop. So scientific training pretty much follows this、uh, this old style apprenticeship style, which means the tutor, the professor, should have complete control. Over how this process works, and each individual person would do things very differently, and different trade、uh, corresponding to different subjects would、uh, would also do things very very differently. For example, I work on theory, on、um, astronomy theory, so I don't have too many students. I, I don't need people to do experiments. So I I usually have、uh, have one master student and one doctoral student. And we have small group discussions, and and usually they work on different things. And a lot of work are I, I give them the idea, but they drive the project themselves. And then、uh, we we discuss、um, how to sort of、uh, overcome problems、uh, in the process. So it is a very small and collaborative way. It's a, it's back and forth. It's not me guiding them so much as for them driving the the project themselves based off an idea that I fed them in the first place. So that's how I work. But in other department, for example, if you're、uh, doing experiments, then you might need a large team of students, and each will be working on a slightly different aspects of the experiment, and they need to constantly talk to each other, and their progress needs to sync up. Otherwise,、um, if one is too slow, the whole project get held up. Everybody suffers. So that involves a huge amount of.、Uh, it's more like a company. There's a lot of management skills involved in that case. Sometimes it's just the problem that the pressure is so high that so many people are waiting for the results. People sort of lose the perspective, and that's a different way. And even different institutions have completely different organizational structures. For example, in my department, which is a university, in universities, researchers are relatively independent. They collaborate, but they collaborate out of interest. But if you go to places like the Chinese Academy of Sciences, where they have this PI, principal investigator, so he's in charge of paying them, that behaves more like a company. And that structure is usually better if if you have a, a large project needs a lot of moving parts. So every research team is completely different. That's Dr. Zhang Fan, associate professor of Department of Astronomy of Beijing Normal University, and it's really interesting to hear from an insider how to organize these big research projects as such. And it seems like communication is key, and there's management that needs to happen, preferably in a manner that is encouraging to people. And I didn't know. That much that there's so much stress that comes with the job because I didn't know that they have so many deadlines to meet. I suppose one thing that strikes me was that actually this day is not only about scientists; it's also about people working with technology. These. Two terms are often put together when we talk about it, but actually they specify on different areas or different paths. For instance, for this year, 
I'd like to promote a little something from my hometown. That is what we call hand tear steel. Oh. That is the steel that is ultra thin that you can actually tear up with your bare hand. I just started to know that story、um, after doing a little bit research on what. Shanxi Province has been doing for this specific theme, and I heard the story of this man from Taiyuan Iron and Steel Group, which I personally have visited when I was in high school. That group was already a icon for、um, high technology in my hometown. But this specific steel, it is really, really thin. It's only one fourth the thickness of an A4 paper, and it is widely used in industries such as aerospace, medical equipment, and computer manufacturing, which require high precision and advanced equipment. And thanks to the hard work of the entire research team since 2016, the thickness of the steel decreased from 0.02 millimeters to 0.015 millimeters, making the company the world's only enterprise capable of mass producing these kind of steel. And I think. That is the thing about craftsmanship that Dr. Zhang Fen has mentioned. After getting into the field, you realize maybe your achievement is only 0.05 millimeters thick. It is actually a tremendous achievement in your respective field. And for those of us who do not really have an idea of what the steel manufacturing industry is developing into, having the opportunity to attend such activities designated to some. Celebrate these scientists and these technicians. Give us the opportunity to at least have a good chat about these topics. Yes, and so much of the development in society in the stuff that at the end of the day. Uh, civilians are able to enjoy in everyday life. It comes from, if you really go back to the origin of it, scientific breakthroughs. So it might be what zero point zero zero, however. <laughs>、um, One、uh, millimeters of some kind of discovery or or whatnot, but actually, in fact, in the days to come, that could be something really significant、uh, in so many different areas in our lives. So that part I find to be really interesting and also inspiring, and hopefully that can energize some of the young people out there who are contemplating what does science discovery have to do with me, and is there a role you can play in all of this? Yeah, given that you are promoting something from your hometown, I have some information from my hometown, which is the city of Wuxi in Jiangsu Province. We know that nowadays the、uh, Internet of Things, which is IoT, has like basically penetrated into every aspect of our lives, and Wuxi is actually a city famous of the development of IoT. Recently, they the the development of IoT and implementation of IoT in the area of elderly caring system is quite famous. For example, it enables location-based assistance and like something like bedtime monitoring. It's like when you are lying in the bed and the bed can know and have the statics of your health condition and your like heart rate and something like that. Basically, that's that is a good tool for caregiver to know the situation of the elderly, and in addition to developing and manufacturing smart elderly care devices, they also provide technical services for digitalized elderly care. 
for example, the device that is in the wall and institutional bedside terminal records data such as the elderly person's respiratory rate and their breathe and care level that they need. Caregivers can access this kind of information at any time and the elderly person can also make urgent calls if they need. It's kind of a technology that is being implied in our life, but doing it so silently that we can have it in everyday life. And that's the magic of science. Also, one more time from our interviewee, Dr. Zhang Fan, associate professor in the field of astronomy. This is from someone who's truly passionate about science, and um, hopefully you'll be engaged just like what Dr. Zhang Fan feels. So science is a, is a lot of fun, actually. You can do very interesting things. Science is quite different from what a lot of people think. It's not a derivative work. It's not uh, just following a recipe. When people do sort of STEM, sort of science education, when they're doing homeworks, they follow a established procedure and they think scientific research is just that rigid sort of following the rules. But science is actually the exact opposite. You're trying to come up with something. You're trying to tell a story that didn't exist before. That, that's the thing. Actual research is exact reverse of, um, of your education. Um, so you're presented with a very few experimental clues about how things actually work. Then you need to come up with a story, a self-consistent story, um, to make up all the missing parts and to build a theory. So it's more like writing a detective novel ended up having to be true. And you have to keep tweaking it, um, trying to make things work. Science is a lot more similar to art than most people think. So there's a lot of um, creative stuff involved um, in scientific research. I would encourage young people who are interested in science to not just learn the facts, but to try to find out how the facts came about. They may be too, too naive to think of something that's to come up with theories that workable. But nevertheless, I'll encourage them to go through the procedure of coming up with an idea and then try to find out what's wrong with it, what can be kept, what should be thrown away. So this whole procedure of scientific discovery is actually very much what professional scientists do anyways. So you get a better idea of how things work, and whether you will really be interested in it. You just heard from Dr. Zhang Fan, Associate Professor of Department of Astronomy at Beijing Normal University. Today and every day, we will continue to nurture a legacy of sci-tech workers leading the way in research and development of science. Coming up next, should the self-order system at restaurants be here to stay? Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Minxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond 
and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Yu Shun and Niu Honglin in the studio. Coming up, since the thick of the pandemic, many restaurants in China have implemented a scan-to-order system, which requires diners to scan a QR code and self-order from their smartphones. Is it a convenience or a hassle with major data privacy concerns? And Words that will no doubt strike fear in the hearts of millions of Netflix subscribers. The video streaming company has launched a password crackdown in the U.S. market. How do streaming platforms limit account sharing around the world? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. When you're there and you're so inclined, please give us a five-star review. We do read them, and it will certainly send us up the rankings, which is great for everybody who likes Roundtable. Another way to get in contact with us is to send us a voice memo or voice question to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com, and it'd be great to include your region of residence in the voice. Message as well, so that we know a little bit more about you when we're answering your question. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, the COVID pandemic has given rise to specific ways of doing business: scanning a QR code to self-order a meal in a restaurant with a smartphone is one of them. This scan-to-order system has not been favored by all consumers, especially some elderly folks who are not smartphone savvy and. Folks who are protective of their personal information. So, give us a recap on how does it work? Because the first time we saw this in the news was a couple of years ago. Yeah, first of all, it requires customers to scan the QR code placed on the table and then order by themselves, which means. Basically, the staff worker only need to lead the guests to the table, and then they'll just go away. Um, such function usually built on top of the mini app or payment functions of WeChat, and such systems allow customers to view an up-to-date menu on their phone or the tablet, order without having to flag down a waiter and pay directly. Some restaurants have even introduced joint ordering apps, so groups of diners can see what each other has chosen from this app. It's getting more and more popular here in China. Actually, I remember visiting such restaurants, and、um, for some occasions, I would be happy to order by myself because I don't have to have someone stand by me and listening to me saying,、mm, "I don't know, maybe、yeah. this one, A or B. What do you think? Do you want to share with me if I order this?" I I find that process a little bit too much pressure. Having the option of ordering with an app, I can revisit the order that I may or may not order in the near near future. But another thing for me is that sometimes, if I am dining with a friend that has particular requests over the dish they order, that would cause a problem. For instance, I have a really close friend who does not eat Chinese chives, who does not want ginger, does not want garlic, want to know specific about how spicy is not very spicy and how spicy is very spicy. That information is not included in those apps. That information can 
only be harvest if you grab a, a waiter and ask him or her what's the mood of your chef today. So yeah, I am on the fence with this order app thing. For somebody who is not particularly prone to trying out new tech, who is a tech <laughs> luddite, fearful of a lot of the advancement in technology and wonder the consequences as such, the first thing comes to mind is actually an inconvenience. That is, you need to fire up an app, which is usually WeChat or. Alipay.、Mm. I think everybody can agree that we don't need another public WeChat account to subscribe to, <laughs> and we also don't need a mini program that is embedded in your existing WeChat app. So to make this happen, you need to engage in more digital activity to follow another an account, just so that you can utilize this so-called convenient feature, and that's just. Too much for me, you know, and and also not to mention data privacy. You're giving your、um, cell phone number, your possible name, and date of birth, and a lot of these other information that you really could do without sharing. And just to have a meal, and I need to give up these personal information one more time. That's just too much. But we obviously have someone who do not agree with this account. So, Yu Shun, take it away. I'm quite on the side of、uh, you know ordering by myself on these kind of apps because it just like Niu Hongli was saying. Yeah, I I'm feeling not very comfortable with somebody standing by me when I was ordering because it feels like they are rushing me to place the order or make the decision. You know. And another thing is that, actually, sometimes there are a lot of descriptions in these kind of,、uh, you know, digital menus, so that you can know how spicy that very spicy is. No, and, I don't. <laughs> it's just said very spicy. And they, some sometimes they will put the, the different numbers of、uh, chilies to tell you <laughs> how spicy that could be. <laughs> That's the trick.、Uh, but anyway, another advantage of、uh, using the digital menu is that. You can always have the latest one、uh, when you're using the digital one because they may have some kind of certain dishes on their paper menu, but there are always going to be some updates on their digital menus and maybe some seasonal limits.、Um, and、um, talking about the personal information, maybe I am not that. Concerned? <laughs> How come? Is it because you're a member of Gen Z? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because、uh, all of the information that they require, you have already given them to WeChat already. So, you See, know, they're、that's... just getting that information again that you have already given out. So, what's the point of、um, not letting them know? Well, because do you know that some of the mini program embedded in the apps are actually、uh, developed by the limited amount of companies. That being said, if you're giving your information to one or two restaurants, you think it's fine. But actually, you're basically giving all of your information, as in your habit of dining, you visit certain places in certain period of time, to this one company that designed all these mini apps for all these. Different restaurants, so they would have a 
collection of your personal information of your habit that in the future they may give you designated advertisement push they may i don't know use your information to do something that you do not want them to I guess I'm just not willing to throw in the towel yet, despite the fact that I know I am pretty much putting up a fight that I am not gonna win. But I refuse to freely hand over my personal information, even if it's it doesn't mean that much. I'm just one tiny data point out of an ocean of data points. But I refuse. To give it up unless it's absolutely necessary. So therefore, why not establish human connection, <laughs> <laughs> which is something that I'm always for. And when you're in a restaurant, I think still speaking to the server,、um, that the staff member will probably give you a better recommendation. And also looking through the paper menu. I know this sounds. Kind of old school, but the pictures are better <laughs> because usually restaurants would invest in a proper photographer taking these photos to entice you to、um, want to order. So therefore, that's one more reason. And、um, and in that sense, maybe I can offer you two little tips、mm -hmm. that I personally use to try to enjoy the technology while. Get away with the potential risk of losing my personal, precious personal information. One is I actually do have another WeChat account.、Mm. I use that WeChat account to follow all the public accounts, to scan all the fishy QR codes, and to do all that stuff, and also to register games. That makes a lot of sense, <laughs> but it's also just too much trouble for somebody、oh, yes. who doesn't like technology to start with. <laughs> Then maybe you are not going to like my second tip. That is.、Ooh. To immediately unfollow the public account after you place your order, so stop the bleeding after <laughs>、yeah. the first few drips. That's the、Ew. idea. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little graphic. Sorry, guys.、Um, and also, if you're just ordering from a QR code in a restaurant, sitting there, how is that different from ordering from home? For example, you're not really enjoying the service so much, and don't you feel a little bit like you're being cheated on in terms of the money you're paying, Yuxuan? Well, that that depends on what you need. You know, what I need is actually an experience of eating in the <laughs> restaurant, but not have somebody talking to me to recommend me some specialties or something like that. And also, you know what? That is just a perfect. Path for introverted person who is going <laughs>、yeah. to you know eating out、mm. because what they're thinking just okay just don't talk to me and I can handle all of these by myself. Yeah, and that's the part I'm just gonna say something that is gonna date me so much. I'm with the old folks. What's up, young people? You know, like we've heard so many times. Like, what is the fear of interacting with strangers? Well, no judgment here, but. It's almost like why does it matter so much? Just speaking to someone, look them in the eye, have some real-world connection, or some people say rejection, but but that's a real interaction with a human being. What's up with that? I would like to quote from a line of lyric that is: "Daytime doesn't know how dark the nighttime is." <laughs> From Na Yun, <laughs> right?、Uh, you know, it can be a very hard task for them. 
Hmm. Like I said in the very beginning, I am on the fence. I have one of those days that I do not want to、mm. talk to people. That I want to quietly enjoy my meal. But in the meantime, maybe when I'm taking my parents out to have dinner, it's nice if there is a paper menu that they can look. It's nice if they want to ask specifically what kind of ingredient is there because they care about their health. Maybe mom is allergic to a certain ingredient that is really really popular these days. Yet They don't specify in the menu, so asking the waiter would help a lot. And also, they really do not like the teeny tiny weeny little font in their phone that they have to read already a lot in their daily life. And maybe ordering can be a better, more enjoyable experience. So I think my shout out to the restaurant owners out there is yes, loving your little apps. Okay to follow you while I'm ordering, though I will unfollow you after I place my order. Yet, hopefully, you can still have one or two staff members to take the orders personally. Yes, and that seems to be pretty much the standard practice in restaurants these days. But I suppose they're possibly still hiring a couple less. Of staff members, if this、um, scan-to-order system is this popular, according to you guys, and I think there is a real concern about the impact of advanced technologies on the socially disadvantaged, and also those who are a bit older who might not have a smartphone. Let's think about、mm. that. And also, what about the unbanked population? Because you kind of take it for granted that everybody has a bank account and everybody has a card that is connected to your online payment platform, but in fact, not everybody has the material to enjoy such services.、Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about eating in a restaurant, then you should probably have the most common population in mind in that sense. There is also one obvious that I hope you guys can address before we move on to the next topic. That is, what's it in for the restaurant since these eating establishments are really giving it a hard push for the scan-to-order system? Yeah, first of all, of course,、um, we know that a lot of people are ordering from their phone, which means they will have. A cut on the staff, the number of the staffs, right? So that、um, the restaurant would need fewer staff members, which is a good way to cut the cost of the operation. And then the daily revenue may increase along with the improved ordering efficiency, as we say in this way, according to the investigation of the Workers Daily in a restaurant in Beijing. The traditional ordering process usually takes about ten minutes. But with QR code ordering, the manual process of the waiter taking orders and placing them at the front counter is saved or shortened, and then the customer's order goes directly to the kitchen, allowing the time taken for ordering to be compressed to just a few minutes, which means they can, you know, have more orders. One day, but a little reminder to you. I've just read a report. A restaurant owner said that their mini ordering app has been hacked in, meaning、oh. that their daily revenue is out there. Their commercial secret is out there for some hackers. I don't know which hacker hacked into a restaurant account, but that did happen. So it's not only our privacy is on the line. That's a really good point, and. I'm just gonna take a wild guess. By the sound of it, you two think that 
the scanta order practice in restaurants are here to stay in China? I hope they can stay as one of the options. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. But I also like to offer just a small latest update uh, of the same subject in the U.S. Because in the U.S. during the pandemic, there was this major growth of uh, scan to order in restaurants, and sometimes, um, yeah, it pretty much works the same way here. But according to a New York Times report. Uh, last week, a report on a company that makes and hosts all those digital menus says the total number of scans of QR codes for these eating establishments is down 27% from the beginning of April to mid-May this year compared with last. And about 75% of their existing QR codes are essentially dormant. So, well, it's good reason to give your waiters that tip, I suppose, Americans. And I heard that it's really expensive sometimes. Love it or hate it, QR code-based ordering isn't going anywhere here in China. But it's good to have the option, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, I second with Niu Honglin <laughs> on this one. And don't completely agree with you should on this one. <laughs> have to pick sides. That's, you know, the fun of Roundtable. Coming up, it's finally happening. Netflix has begun its password sharing crackdown in the U.S. How do platforms limit account sharing around the world? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of roundtable with myself, Hu Yang. I have Yushun and Niu Holin in the studio for this discussion. Netflix is about to kick your best friend off your account. Well, in the U.S., unless you pay for them to share your account, that is. After piloting overseas video streaming platform Netflix recently unveiled its password sharing crackdown in the company's U.S. home market. It will charge close to eight U.S. dollars per month fee for people wanting to share account details outside of their respective households. So this is apparently something that got a lot of people pretty nervous about their Netflix account. So give us an update on how this is kind of a big deal for the subscribers. Well, Netflix subscribers in the U.S. who share the service outside their household, which is the term Netflix has been using, they have received an email about the company's password sharing policy beginning on May 23rd, Tuesday, according to the blog post. Basically, this paid password sharing experiments have been happening for a while, and it expanded its test to Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain. Bang in February. The password sharing crackdown was originally supposed to hit the U.S. at the beginning of this year, but the company pushed that launch back again in April. And nowadays, apparently, you're facing a little bit trouble if you want really, really want to share your password with your friend, because apparently if you share your password, they would send you a four digit code so that your friend can again log on to their digital devices. It also requires the so-called main devices to log in at least once every 31 days. 
And previously, you can of course at least share with your spouse with.、Um, Even if you don't live together, but now apparently, if your IP, if your Wi-Fi is not from the same location, that would affect your efficiency or convenience in using this password. See all these little details that are gathered by the company, and you think they're all so innocent, and it's just small information out there. Whoever. Would care, and actually, these companies can collect this information of a person of your household and easily detect abnormal activity, and you will be flagged, or at least you can't log into the account if、um, you know there's activity at, let's say, two different separate places. As such, by the sound of it, and how is this happening? Is business that bad? Yeah, in April 2022, the company revealed that it lost subscribers for the first time in over a decade. It has previously estimated that more than 100 million households worldwide share an account, which means, well, maybe you and your friends are sharing one account and they are not making money from. This kind of behavior, right? The company started to clamp down on password sharing in several countries earlier this year, and Netflix recently reported a net increase of 1.75 million global streaming subscribers in the first quarter, up nearly five percent from the same period in this prior year, but below the more than three million Wall Street analysis had expected. That actually, I don't quite agree with the company's assumption because if let's say I am the freeloader of Yu Shun's account, I ask Yu Shun for his password. I started watching these shows that I really like, and then all of a sudden Yu Shun started to tell me that, "Hey, sorry to tell you, but the company stopped allowing me to share my password with you. I can still offer you a discount, allowing you to be one of my family members with the." Great price of almost eight U.S. dollars. What from zero to eight U.S. dollars? I'll stop watching your shows. It's no big deal. Freeloading is more important to me. So from that sense, I don't really think Netflix would gain much, much more of these potential customers. Instead, maybe just these potential customers are losing their privilege of watching some shows. I think they may have another strategy to this kind of thing. You know, maybe that is not the direct thing that they want to get, like instantly get more subscribers. But you know, they are telling people now we have these kind of things. But、um, you can, you may not get a free account from this, but you can just you know cooperate with these account owner, and then you can share the price that you paid, and then. They can get more subscribers, but they are not losing any money from it. Zero to eight, not going to do it. But zero to two point five is kind of thing that we would like to accept. So you mean you're splitting the bill? Right. Who does that? If my boyfriend or whoever's close to me asks me to. Foot the bill that way, I would get so mad. But 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 it's okay. I'm, I suppose some people will possibly do what Yushun has recommended, and there are going to be people who are gonna side with what Nyonyo just said. So that's the thing about this business move: a penny lost, or let's just say a user lost, is not necessarily. 
a user gained. And do you think this kind of practice, which is not unique to Netflix, all these streaming services out there and admit it, the American streaming world is getting increasingly crowded. And so is what we have here in China. Mm. They all have different types of company policies to kick off the freeloaders <laughs> or at least an attempt to do so. Um, will a strict company policy like this one affect people's desire to subscribe. I think this is what the companies are really wary about. Or actually, they're, when you look at Netflix, it's just going on with it because, well, yeah, it's been some time since 2011 when the company famously said, love is sharing a password. <laughs> <laughs> what a slap in the face now. Well, I think it will not affect the current users. Once I become a member of any of these platforms, I just automatically pay them every month or every year. That's what I do. And I will share my password to my friends whatsoever. And even if sometimes it means it creates some problems of them asking me for a six or four digit constantly, I will still let it slide. Aww. Can I just jump in here once? Because I have been that freeloader of the lovely <laughs> New Holin. I have. And I finished watching a couple of shows that were only exclusively shown on that particular platform. And thank you so much. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said thank you to you in person like this on Aww. the show. But also, like after a while, I wanted to go back onto that account and then it asked me to like uh, get these um, one-time passwords and of course Nyoholian and I were not in the same room at the time and of course what kind of embarrassing <laughs> shameful and unthoughtful human being would ask your friend on a Sunday to give you that one-time password on her smartphone so did, did I just accidentally <laughs> sort of insult your friends, other friends? Anyhow, so I just want to say what a generous human being here. <laughs> That's not the main point, but also, you know, this thing doesn't always work, okay? Exactly. And you're very welcome, by the way. No, I won't but, do that, but thank you. But I don't think our friendship is what all any of these platforms trying to crack down here. <laughs> I think for them, it's relatively harmless. What they are really worrying about is some business engaging in market activities under the name of sharing by selling shared and paid membership accounts on different platforms. Mm. It's the kind of activity that maybe they start this platform and start using several or dozens of membership accounts and using those accounts to get and maybe to even record the shows and put it on oh. their platforms. So these are the main problems here. So maybe for Netflix or for any other video platforms here in China, maybe you asking me to constantly type in the one-time password or the <laughs> six or four digits you send onto my phone number. It's a little bit troublesome, but I think I'll allow. And don't abuse the kindness of your friend. <laughs> That's how friendships will last forever. And I mean, these kind of uh, video streaming platforms are making money from their content. And uh, yeah, of course, it's a good way to show your friendship with each other. But so if you're capable of paying for an account, I think we should still have our own account. 
you're right, you're right. Once or twice is fine, but starting from now on, if I really, really cherish our friendship, I will buy you your own account instead of sharing mine with you. IP protection. Period. You're listening to Roundtable, and that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much, Yushun and Nyohoin, for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We'll see you next time.